Welcome to another edition of Legends of Film. I'm William Chamberlain, and today we have an interview with production designer Dean Tavaleros. Mr. Tavaleros has worked on all three Godfather movies, The Conversation, Apocalypse Now, and The Outsiders. The Outsiders will be shown Saturday, September 27, 2014, at the Downtown Public Library. More later, on to the interview. My first question is, what does a production designer do? Well, uh, basically, everything you see, except the actors and the clothes they're wearing, is the responsibility of the production designer. The car, he selects the cars, he selects the or builds the, in the, the rooms, if there's a room. If they're in the country, he selects, he has to find the country. If they're on a boat in a lake, he has to find the lake and have the boat and rent the boat or build the boat. If the boat's going to be destroyed, he has to figure out whether it's cheaper to buy a boat and blow it up or some other solution. Pretty much anything visual that you see in a film is a responsibility of the production designer. In doing research, you started at Disney working in the studio art department, working on 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, and this was you said this was basically your uh, school. Could you talk about your education there? Well, I was going to schools, regular art schools around Los Angeles, specifically two schools, one called Chenard, and the other one pretty much next door was called Otis. The Disney Studios always monitored these schools and 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 offered positions to any any student that when they graduated and they were talented they offered them positions when i was going to otis some friends i was with said they were going to go to disney and and show them the portfolio their own portfolios which i did i was very pessimistic but i did that and um and Disney hired me, and then I became what they call in-betweener, working on animated films. There's a kind of a training session for about six months. I was doing that, and then I graduated into the, make a long story short, so I was working in the animation department. Mostly at that time, I worked on Lady and the Tramp. After this was my dream and anybody's dream to work at Disney Studios. But after a year of doing this in-betweening, I was going kind of um, stir-crazy. You you work on a very small part of the film. You never see the whole picture. You work in a dark room, and you turn out these animated sections in-betweening. You do the drawing in-between. If you There's one and three then you do number two. In any case, I went to them and said I wanted to, um, I was kind of disillusioned, I wanted to leave, and they said, well, stay, we have a new uh, new um, department, live action. I said, well, what's live action? And they said, well, they made films in England, but Walt wants to 
turn all of that production back to to do it in Burbank. He made Robin Hood and a couple of other films in, in England. And he has big plans to make films in Burbank. And you, they, you, because I had a, a lot of architecture in my my resume, and they said, you, with all this architecture, it's like architecture. You build sets like an architect would build a home or an office building. So I said, well, yes, I'd rather stay than, than go. I finished on Friday and with the animation, and Monday I started in the live action. 20,000 Leagues was under production at the time, and I worked a little bit on that, and then later films like Pollyanna, Parent Trap, and things like that. You mentioned 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, which is a favorite of mine. By chance, did you work on the giant squid? No, I remember working on uh, the wheel, the captain's wheel of a ship. It wasn't the um, Nemo's submarine, and it wasn't this giant squid. It was uh, this other boat. There was a, a sailing vessel that we built and had it on a rocker's. I remember working on that wheel. I don't know what else I worked on. You also read that you Academy Award winner Robert Clatworthy was a mentor to you. Could you talk about what important lessons you learned from him? I'll say that, you know, they didn't have film schools at that time. I, at least I never heard of them. I'm sure you can research it. There were not film schools like you have every every university, every college has some kind of film school where you can study to become an editor, you can study to become a sound recorder, you can study to become a director, a screenwriter, an actor. So Disney was my school. Art directors would come in and do a film. They had a, a, a art department, but more and more that art department became involved with uh, Disneyland all the art directors were working on Disneyland. But at the same time, they would be doing films like 20,000 Leagues. I think it was Johnny Meehan was the production designer. And then they had they started doing Pollyanna, and that's when Bob Clatworthy did Pollyanna, and then he did Parent Trap. I worked with him. And he, I think he took to me a, a bit, and he and he said, because he would, you understand, he was kind of like on loan. He would come there because he was really more or less a Universal, uh, Universal Studios art director. He would come to Disney to do a film, then he'd go back to Universal. So he told me when he goes back to the outside. If I went with him, he would make me an assistant art director. So that was a, an, an advancement. So I took advantage of that, and I did that. And I, it also opened me up from just working at the Disney Studios in Burbank, which was like a little junior college kind of atmosphere in the Midwest, and to kind of go into the real Hollywood, Columbia Studios and MGM and Universal. So I went with Bob Clatworthy, and we did quite a few films inside Daisy Clover at, at Warner Brothers, which is a very interesting film. 
invitation to a gunfighter, Stanley Kramer at Universal, Ship of Fools uh, with Stanley Kramer, and an incredible cast. That really opened up my my so-called career. You've had a long collaboration with Francis Ford Coppola, and could you discuss how you two met and discuss your working relationship? I was doing a film, and uh, one of the uh, producers of that film, a film called Candy, was uh, I got to know him. His name is Gray Fredrickson. A year or so after that, he called me and he said, um, have you read this book, The Godfather? And I said, no, I haven't read it, but I had heard about it. It was a bestseller for months and um, on the best-selling book uh, list. He said, well, read it. And I was in Europe at the time. I said, but I'm coming to New York. He said, go to the St. Regis Hotel and meet this guy Francis Ford Coppola, because I think this this film is coming together based on this book, The Godfather. So I did that. I met Francis, and we talked about the film. I had read the book in the meantime. He said many very interesting things. He didn't want to make a Hollywood Italian gangster film. He wanted to make it like real people who have families and children and have weddings and dinners, but at the same time, they're gangsters and they kill people. So this dichotomy was interesting to him and to me when he was telling me about that. So he, he in fact, hired me for the film, and we start working together. We are showing the outsiders, and when you first read the script or the book, what was your first impressions as a production designer, and what did you want to accomplish? Well, it was difficult because, let's say, compared to The the Godfather, you had these very visual images come up. If you you read the script or or the book that were exciting, and you could, uh, there was a lot there to think about and to want to create. With the, the outsiders, you know, it was the small town with the the socias kind of, uh, well, poor, to say, to say it in a word, living in very modest homes and going doing whatever, you know, hanging out on the street or going to, the, the soda shop. It wasn't as, should I say, delectable as The Godfather. I was peeing off, mostly off of Francis, who was very enthusiastic about the film visually. And he said it's a very modest story about these young kids coping with growing up. But it could be like Gone with the Wind. You could have this big scope. You're showing it in what way? We're showing it on our screen. It's a nice big screen. It'll be projected from the uh, Blu-ray that's just, and we're going to show the complete novel. And so it should capture the cinemascope, you know. Yeah, the cinemascope. Yeah. I think Carmine did the music, Carmine Coppola. It has a big, robust score. So, But he, he was looking at it like that. 
So my angle of work on it was to key off of him. But I must say, it was difficult for me. The film that spun off of this, The Rumblefish, or what, what would they call it? call it Rumblefish here in Europe, what was a lot more exciting visually, you know, with the Mickey, the Mickey Rourke film. The film was made in black and white. Is there a difference between working in black and white and color? Yes. The color, I think you just, you kind of do it. Your concerns are that you're in coordination with, especially the costume, to know what, what people are wearing with the colors. When I was younger, watching the black and white film, I always wondered about, of course, you work in color, but the film is seen in black and white. All, all the films, well, 80% of the films from the, from the 40s and 30s are black and white, but the sets, of course, are in color. But if you paint a wall red and you have a chair that's blue, and how do you know exactly what blue would look like in black and white or red would look like in black and white. Steve Burm, for him and for me, too, we, we made, uh, we shot colors, spectrums, to see what they looked like in black, white, and gray. And so that was a concern that would be different. He wanted to shoot it with black and white stock, not to shoot it in color they wanted to shoot it in color, let's say they, the studio, and then just print it in black and white. And even then, it was difficult to, to get the film and difficult to have it processed. It was, you know, being phased out at big time. So later, it's very interesting, the stories about the Woody Allen film, Manhattan, that Gordon Willis shot and how he, you know, struggled to get to get the right lab, to get the right film stock, and how the result is, of course, a stunning, stunning black and white film, Manhattan. We did have that strange sequence in Rumble's Fish about the, the the fish that are colored, but everything else is black and white. Um, I was listening to uh, Francis Coppola's audio commentary for the conversation, and he was talking about the scene where Harry called Gene Hackman, played by Gene Hackman, eavesdrops, and hears the murder in the motel room next door, and Hackman throws the bedspread over himself, and it was a naked mattress underneath, and you supposedly said, see, details matter, and I was just wondering, how detailed do you like to get in a production? Well, I, I go until I, I don't have the money or the time. I think you do as as much as you can. Uh, but, you know, people criticize. They'll say, well, you know, no one's going to see that, for instance. If you put... I, when Gene Hackman and his apartment, I knew the apartment we were going to use, which was a real apartment, because it was going to be demolished. And this... And we also had to have this, the building across the street being demolished because that was that was one of the scenes where you looked through Gene Hackman's window and saw the building across the street being knocked down. So since I knew the address of this location, he was an electronics eavesdropper. 
I took his name, Harry Call, Mr. Call, and so forth, and and subscribed to many uh, magazines and periodicals uh, uh, dealing with electronics and electronic listening devices. There are magazines and stuff that deal with that. And after a couple of weeks or so, this mail starts arriving. Now, the camera never saw that he had this mail addressed to him. And in the drawer that he had uh, rubber bands or package of Tums, anti-acid pills, or any of that, but the actor does. And the actor, he should, and and I told the wardrobe too, I mean, you don't just give him a pair of pants and a coat, but there should be some change in there, a set of keys, a wallet, so that the clothes look like real people are wearing, you know, the clothes of real people, not just a wardrobe. I can't stand these films like you keep seeing where the, the luggage, you know, that comes off the t- cab or the train or the airplane. And you know that there's nothing in it. They don't have to put 50 pounds of weight inside, but certainly they can put 10 pounds just to, to see the luggage stretch a little bit or to see the actor s- struggle a little bit, like there's something there. I always, you know, I'm concerned about those details like that, the weight in the luggage, stuff in the actor's pockets, real things in a a home, the drawers. I said, you never know if the the director says, open that drawer. You better put something in there. It's, It's good training. You once stated about Francis Coppola, uh, Francis scripts are like a newspaper. There's a new one every day. I was listening to Francis Coppola's commentary to Apocalypse Now, and he said he didn't know how to end this movie. And how does this affect your job? You just have to be ready. I, I think it's exciting. It keeps you on your toes. I'm totally in tune with having a new script every morning, like the newspaper. I don't think it's, you know, I'm, uh, I'm totally uh, sympathetic with the, with the, the struggles it takes to get the story right. And no one's ever going to say to you, you know, I told you this morning that we needed the Taj Mahal and how come it's not ready and here it is, it's 4 o'clock already in the afternoon. No one's going to say that. If whatever demands come up with, a, with on short notice in some new script pages, they're very sympathetic with giving you the time and to do what you have to do. It suddenly pops up something, some new information. I was reading it was your idea to have the birds fly out of the bushes when Bonnie and Clyde get killed in the movie Bonnie and Clyde. Um, what was the inspiration behind this idea? I don't recall. I would suspect that it was a film. That was my first film. I was kind of, you know, timid to say the least. But I remember going to Arthur and Warren was nearby. And I said, what what if the ambush of Bunny and Clyde starts and the the noise of the guns and the, the smoke, all these birds come out of the bushes as an added dramatic element and uh, I remember Warren saying I like that I like this Arthur it's very Russian 
that made me perk up. But Arthur said yes, and then uh, then there was the thing how to do it. You know, I had to round up birds, and then and at least for three times, put them in chicken wire enclosures, and then uh, release them. People aren't generally sympathetic. If the direct, you know, if I was doing it by myself without the director, they wouldn't do anything. It was like the horse's head in The Godfather. Unless you have some authority, you know, they'll say, "What birds? You know, what do we got? We got it. We got to deal with guns. We have to deal with the blanks. We have to deal with, uh, and now we got these birds. Whose idea is a bird? You know, so it was difficult to get people to to go along with you. Final question. You're living the dream a lot of people are um, would like to have. You're a painter living in Paris, France. Does painting give you the same creative stimulation as production design? No. Looking back, you know, working on films, it's very exciting and very uh, because there are so many kind of life and death situations that and and so many people like an army very very similar to some military operation how to coordinate it how to avoid mistakes at all costs to get it done painting is this tranquil whatever turmoil there is is it's it's with within yourself with yourself you know your life has a span and um I did that, and I I doubt if I could do a big film. I think back to certainly to Apocalypse or something like that. It would be physically impossible to to handle the mental and physical strain of a film. Even not Apocalypse, but you know, a film at home, Farewell, My Lovely, or something. It's it's a uh, it's a very tense business. You can only do it for so long. I'm happy doing what I'm doing. Yes, it's like a dream. Here I am in Paris with my French actress wife and my painting and uh, very happy. I would like to thank Dean Tavalaris for doing this interview with us. Remember, come to the Downtown Public Library at 615 Church Street on Saturday, September 27th at 2 p.m. to see The Outsiders. Today's music is The Conversation by David Shire.